Section One of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume Eight, Number Six, June eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in February two thousand eighteen. The effects of geographic environment in the development of civilization in primitive man by the honorable gardiner g hubbard lld president of the national geographic society i have selected as the subject for my annual address the effect of geographic environment on the development of civilization in primitive man the interest of this subject is not confined to the history of the various stages of life through which man has passed for his past modifies our view into the present and is a prophecy of the future it is my province to treat of the effects of different environments on the development of primitive man this development though on the whole beneficial has ever been a mingling of good and evil its progress has been hitherto intermittent originally very slow requiring thousands of years possibly tens of thousands to gain slight results advancing sometimes with quicker pace often retrograding sometimes apparently dying out probably because its progress is often invisible it has never been uniform in any race nation or country though progressing more rapidly in higher stages and in modern times that civilization has been and must be beneficial to mankind we cannot doubt though every upward step has been the cause of suffering loss and death in many ways before unknown the discovery of america was followed by the death of tens of thousands of negroes in africa and of indians in america the civilization of the hawaiian and other islands of the pacific ocean caused a great diminution in the number of their inhabitants and the entire extinction of some tribes no discovery or invention was ever made whether of fire of the bow of gunpowder of printing steam or electricity of the telegraph telephone or bicycle that did not bring with it changes in civil social and private life and in business transactions the greater the value of the invention the greater the disturbance of established habits trade and business the cotton gin enriched the south but made slavery profitable and led to our civil war the railroad steamship and telegraph revolutionized the entire commerce of the world and ruined many wealthy and long-established mercantile and commercial firms the civilization of past ages was never the enlightenment and elevation of the whole nation it was the upbuilding of the higher classes in knowledge culture wealth and power and the oppression and debasement of the lower classes comfort happiness and length of life are ever increasing with civilization individual strife is prevented by law warfare is controlled new and improved varieties of food shelter and clothing add to the sum of human happiness civilized man has become a highly developed and sensitive organism with increased susceptibilities to both pain and pleasure it is the purpose and effect of modern civilization to offer opportunities which shall raise the whole race to an elevation never yet attained 
one of the most striking features in the development of civilization though hitherto little considered is its relation to and dependence on geographic environment in our earliest studies of man we find him the creature of his environment only progressing in those directions and at that rate to which he is forced by his necessities as we follow him through different and progressive stages of development we find still the influence of geographic environment in directing in stimulating or retarding his progress indeed so marked is the effect of geographic environment on any primitive people that given the environment the geographer can determine the character religion and habits of life of that people we were formerly taught that some four or five thousand years back in the world's history a man perfect and complete was created the ancestor of the human race to whom was given lordship over the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and dominion over all nature modern research and the discovery of the remains of ancient man have proved that no less than twenty thousand years probably a much longer time has passed since the first appeared upon the earth and that he was then little superior either in mental or moral qualities to the animals by which he was surrounded while greatly their inferior in strength whatever his origin the causes which lifted him from this low estate proceeded from without and not from within the earliest traces of man are found in what is known by geologists as the pliocene formation they lie buried in deposits of gravel or in caves and consist of fragments of chipped flints pointed into spear or arrow heads and of bones and in some cases of stones shaped into rude fish hooks with these flints are found bones of animals with probably a few human bones from these remains we gather that man had not only learned to defend himself from the wild animals about him but probably to use their flesh for food and their skins for clothing he lived in caves in trees or in rude huts sometimes built on piles or shell walls sufficiently separated from the land to make him secure from attack we have no evidence that the use of fire was known to him gradually step by step we see him by slow advances become through geographic environment a hunter a fisherman a nomad from a dweller in caves and trees he becomes a dweller in tents finally gathering into families tribes cities nations so much and so little do the gravels of river-beds and rocks tell us of early man but in existing peoples in various parts of the earth in the dwarfs and hottentots of africa in the andamans of the indian ocean in the papuans of the islands of the pacific in tierra del fuego in the aborigines of australia in the inhabitants of the arctic regions we find man still in a very low stage of development corresponding to and little superior to that of the drift and caveman that these races have continued through so many ages in the same condition and that others have risen through successive stages to the highest civilization we believe to be the result of geographic environment had the environment been everywhere the same progress must have been the same over the whole earth but with every degree of latitude every change of altitude every variation of climate every variation of rainfall 
conditions are changed and progress is hastened or retarded let us go back to primitive man as we still find him in equatorial africa in the arctic regions in central asia as he was in europe for countless ages and trace the effect of geographic environment on his condition in each of these countries the whole of africa was at one time probably occupied by the dwarfs or hottentots the climate is warm clothing is unnecessary they require but slight shelter for protection against sun and rain their dwellings are either in trees or rude huts with thatched roofs sometimes open on every side the streams and jungles furnish fish birds and animals for food and also roots and fruits they become expert in laying snares and traps in catching fish and in hunting further needs they have none there is neither necessity nor inducement for other exertion or for further development their environment has made them and keeps them what they are a stronger race of negroes from the north with better weapons drove them into the hottest jungles of central and south africa there they remain again other races appeared and to maintain their position the negroes must improve their weapons must learn to make bows and poisoned arrows spears and javelins must clear spaces in the forest erect palings around them gather within these enclosures and invent a system of alarms to protect themselves from wild beasts they learned the use of fire and invented means of lighting a fire by friction gradually they gathered into families and fire was used for cooking animal food sometimes the meat was hung over the fire on a spit sometimes cooked in ant holes with hot stones the date and coconut palm supplied them with food shelter and light they had advanced the stage beyond the dwarfs and hottentots but as their environment encouraged no further progress they remained stationary in the arctic regions the environment and therefore the conditions of life are different but equally unfavorable to progress in these regions clothing is a necessity and to obtain the skins of sea and land animals the arctic man was driven to invent snares and weapons and to make rude boats in a land of snow and ice he must have a warm tight shelter as well as clothing so he builds huts of blocks of stone or ice covered with snow he makes a fire and gathers moss for fuel as his surroundings afford him scanty vegetable food and that only in the short summer he dries berries and mosses he smokes and freezes the flesh of bear seal and walrus and lays in a supply for winter use the animals which surround him are generally not the ferocious beasts of warmer climates the dog and reindeer become his companions and friends gradually he learns to use them in his service and thus from the environment came the domestication of animals in the arctic regions the denizen of the far north cannot cultivate the ground for the frozen earth refuses to yield any return for his labor all the energies of the arctic man are expended in contending with the elements and striving to secure from sea snow and ice the oil skins food and habitation necessary for the support of life his body is enervated by the intense cold and his mental physical and moral growth is dwarfed and stunted 
Thus we see that the geographical environments of intense heat and intense cold develop different faculties, but in neither does man progress toward civilization. Let us turn to a temperate climate, to the vast steppes and plateaus of Asia, which extend from southeastern Russia, past the Caspian and Ural seas, northeastward and eastward through Upper Turkestan and Siberia to Mongolia, from the Black Sea to Bering Sea and the Pacific Ocean, the greater part, indeed, of Asia. Here we have a different geographic environment, a temperate but arid climate, vast steppes where, on account of the drought, agriculture has always been impossible. Over these steppes, immense flocks and herds of wild goats, camels, wild horses and buffalo roam now as thousands of years ago. Here, in ages past, men, following where they led, gradually gathered them into herds and tamed and domesticated them. The herds must be cared for, be kept together and guarded, goats and cows must be daily milked, must be pastured in summer, and the wild grass gathered for their winter use. Man learned to breed cattle, to increase his flocks and herds, for on them he depended for food, for clothing for covering for his tents, and for all the other necessaries of life. His environment forced him into habits of foresight, of thrift, of thoughtfulness, and thus man took the first step in civilization. He ceased to be a savage and became a nomad. He acquired property, and for thousands of years lived, as now, the shepherd's life. Flocks and herds belonged to the family or tribe, and the land where they grazed was regarded as the property of the tribe from which the flocks and shepherds of other tribes were driven away. Gradually the family relation was established. The father or his eldest or strongest son became the patriarch, and the families of a common ancestor were united into a tribe with the patriarch as its chief. Gradually the idea of social life and patriarchal government was developed, but there was neither city nor state, no close contact of man with man, no assembling into communities. The men tended their flocks, the women learned to spin and weave, some ideas of individual rights were developed. The nomad condition of life gave form to his habitation, a tent easily moved. From Asia we turn to Europe a country from its geographic environment better adapted for the advancement of civilization than any other quarter of the world. Its two long, narrow peninsulas, Greece and Italy, stretch southward into the Mediterranean, its sea coast, longer in proportion to the land surface than that of any other continent, is indented with excellent harbours on the north and south, with deep bays and gulfs, its islands of Great Britain, its temperate climate, its abundant rainfall and numerous rivers, its mountain ranges, easily crossed, afford facilities for the development of trade and commerce, of science, the arts, and civilization of all kinds not possessed by any other country. Yet this land, so well suited for the progress of civilization, was unfitted to be the birthplace of civilization. The life of primitive man in Europe has been longer and more thoroughly studied than in any other part of the world. 
traces of the different stages in the development of primitive man through the stone bronze and iron ages have been found in many places we learn of the life of the drift and cavemen and of the time when they lived from their implements and from the bones of animals their implements resemble those found in other continents this however does not prove the acquaintance of one race with the work of another in a different continent but that similar stages of development occurring in different places and at different times produce alike results these implements which are very rude and simple are made of the stones most easily worked and show by their design that they could have been made only by man in france and england these remains have been found in the banks of streams fifty eighty or even one hundred feet above the present level of the river the men of this period belonged to the earliest stone age and are called drift men the implements are found with fauna extinct before our earliest knowledge of natural history and known to us only as fossils or else with the remains of such animals as the reindeer and woolly rhinoceros now found only in arctic or tropical climates these drift and cavemen lived the life of all primitive men hunting and fishing or eating roots and the fruits of trees neither in their physical nor mental condition were they much superior to the wild beasts among which they lived they had the mind of a child with the strong animal passions of a man great mounds or cromlechs or barrows as they are called in england and france were probably built by these early races possibly at the same time that a race of semi-civilized men were building the pyramids of egypt the cromlechs and barrows made at different times are of different forms many of them were used as burial places in the long barrows the dead were generally buried in a crouching or sitting posture major powell tells us that the property used exclusively by the individual such as clothing ornaments and weapons was inherent in the individual and to prevent strife was buried with the owner together with food for the long journey the family relation and marriage were in their first germ and the idea of property was scarcely more than that of the wild beasts many wild animals protect their right of property in the prey they take and in the females of their kind we have no certain knowledge when these men lived but the great geographic changes which have taken place must have required thousands of years they seemed to disappear from europe possibly they were destroyed by the changes of climate during the glacial era which as is now known was not as great and far-reaching in asia as in europe and america some geologists do not believe that men lived in the glacial period others that the drift men of europe were conquered by immigrant hordes from the east who had reached a progress somewhat higher and that thus the first upward step in european progress came from the influence of the orient the superiority of the men of the later stone and bronze ages is confirmed by comparisons between the skulls and other remains of the stone and bronze ages the skulls of the stone age are narrower and the men smaller than those of the bronze age those who lived in a limestone or volcanic country or where there were fissures and caves in the rocks made their homes in the rocks and caves 
In such places as the Marne Valley, where the rocks are soft, they excavated caves, and later built their habitations of limestone, shaping them after the cave. The weapons they used were superior in workmanship and variety to those of the driftmen, being often ground and polished. Charred wood has been found in these caves, showing a knowledge of the use of fire, but no pottery. Far removed and strange as this life of the Stone Age may seem to us, it is not more unlike our own than that of many of the tribes who within the present generation have lived in South America, Africa, Asia, and the islands of the Pacific. There is scarcely a custom, a habit, or an implement of primitive man that has not been found among one or more of these tribes. The Fuegians have been described by Darwin and Captain Ross, who visited Tierra del Fuego in 1839 and 1840. Captain Ross tells us, quote, They are naked, except a seal-skin mat thrown over the shoulders, living in a dome-shaped hut about the size of a haystack, formed by branches of trees driven into the ground in a circle, the ends brought together at the top, and the interstices filled with smaller branches. They use stone fish-hooks and live on fish or any other food they can find, frequently eating it raw. They have no pottery, but make vessels for drinking and cooking of birch bark. They do not seem to have any form of government. Darwin says, quote, They are ill-looking, badly proportioned, stunted in their growth, their skins filthy and greasy, their voices discordant. End quote. On the Baltic, in a different environment, we find other traces of primitive man. Here are found great mounds of shells, bones, refuse of fish and wild animals, and a few pieces of earthenware which show the beginning of pottery. In the mounds of the Baltic Sea are found shells of saltwater oysters that do not now live in the Baltic, whose waters, formerly salt, are now brackish, showing the long period that must have elapsed since the mounds were formed. Thus the seashore adds its testimony to that of the rocks as to the antiquity of the race. Their geographic environment taught them also navigation by the use of boats for fishing. The simplest form is a float, which may consist of a single log, trimmed of its branches, or of a great branch with the boughs remaining. Some races of people use bladders and inflated skins or coconuts, while the Californian ties reeds in bundles and thus forms a float. The earliest means of propulsion was paddling with the hands and feet. Gradually, use was made of wind power by holding up a leaf, bow, skin, or article of clothing as a sail, then a mat raised by one or two sticks. The mast and sail followed. The man who found that a pointed log made better headway than a square one had made great progress in shipbuilding. The shapely and skillfully constructed vessels of the present day are only the gradual evolution of the primitive log. We have referred to the migrations of the men from the later Stone Age from the East. Without this habit, progress and civilization would have been impossible. No community, says Maine, when first known by the historian, can certainly be said to occupy its original seat. 
no instance can be found where a race has risen from savagery to civilization without contact and intermingling with races from countries where different environments have developed different intellectual activities if however the disparity is too great between the old and the immigrant race then the inferior fades away for scarcely a single race has been found that can bear the contact in trying to civilize we destroy we have referred to the immigrants from the east as having advanced the progress of europe these emigrations were the result of environment as population increased in the plains of asia the land became insufficient for the support of a nomad people with their vast herds of cattle few realized the amount of land required for the support of even a single family the hunter and fisher required for his sustenance and that of his family a tract of one hundred square miles for a small nomad tribe on the steppes of asia five hundred to six hundred square miles are required in these regions man will ever remain content to be a savage or a barbarian where agriculture trade and industry are combined the same land that supported one hunter is sufficient for the sustenance in india and europe of ten thousand inhabitants and in the state of massachusetts of twenty-five thousand one-fourth of the population of the world savages and barbarians constant wanderers require three-fourths of the surface of the earth for their support as population increases the time invariably comes when the land is insufficient for the support of the increased number the people must die of hunger or immigrate to other lands such immigrations apparently always from the east to the west or from the north to the south have frequently occurred in the world's history they have usually followed the same route through passes and over plains to rich fertile grounds forced by hunger great hordes of huns and mongolians gathered under great warriors of whom no record exists left the plains of asia long before the time of alaric or attila and wandered over the steppes through the pass of dariel in the caucasus to asia and on across asia minor and the dardanelles to greece or else travelled across russia north of the black sea into hungary and thence spread over europe these early nomads belonged to the period of the stone and bronze ages and met in europe the men of the later stone age and as their development was higher and their weapons were better they easily overpowered the europeans and mingling with them formed a new people or race the bronze age was thus introduced into europe not as a progression from one stage to another but by the invasion of a superior civilization the immigrants drove their flocks and herds with them for in the bronze age the larger proportion of the bones are those of domestic animals while in the early stone age no bones of domestic animals are found and very few in the later stone age the inhabitants of europe slowly passed from the bronze to the iron age from savagery to barbarism and there progress ceased how long this stagnation continued we cannot tell possibly many thousands of years the population of hunters and fishermen were satisfied and contented with their lot we have traced in equatorial africa in the arctic regions and in europe the slow development of man so far only as forced by his geographical environment 
it is to the east that we must look for those conditions which raised man through successive stages of savagery and barbarism to the highest civilization the world has ever known in egypt we find a people isolated on the north by the mediterranean on the east and west by the desert and on the south by the cataracts and thus protected for long ages from any foreign enemy the surroundings largely influenced the religion of the people the desert which forever encroached on them was to them the type of death while the nile their greatest blessing to which they owed all the fertility of their valley represented life the sun and moon in all their various phases were deified and worshipped as were the sky and wind every mysterious natural phenomenon which influenced their daily lives became an object of worship more wonderful than the nile is the valley of mesopotamia it is about one thousand two hundred miles in length extending from the persian gulf almost to the mediterranean a long range of mountains runs along the northern side the boundless desert on the other stretches across arabia and over the red sea through africa to the atlantic ocean through this valley flow the euphrates and tigris in nearly parallel lines uniting shortly before they reach the persian gulf the fauna and flora of this valley are very rich and abundant wheat and millet grow spontaneously so great was the fertility of the soil according to herodotus grain commonly returned two hundredfold to the sower and occasionally three hundredfold while wheat barley sesame ochres palms apples and many kinds of shelled fruit grew wild as wheat still does in the neighborhood of anar pliny too says that wheat was cut twice and afterward was good for sheep the valley between the rivers varies in width from ten to one hundred miles these rivers in different spring months bring down the rich detritus from the mountains inundating the valley and as the water subsides the valley is covered with rich and abundant vegetation here many believe was the garden of eden and the reputed site of the tower of babel is daily visited the region was early inhabited and its fertility made it in all ages one of the richest portions of the world its aborigines on the persian gulf lived by fishing but as the population increased they were forced to follow up the tigris and euphrates into the desert for a while food was abundant but with the increase of population the supply failed the conditions of environment taught man to depend on the inundation and to increase the amount of habitable land by digging irrigating canals eventually thousands of large and small streams connected the two rivers and flowed southward into the desert the valley and the desert thus became a garden and the population rapidly increased the irrigating canals were continually being enlarged and for many generations the country sustained a population so vast that an ancient writer says that for hundreds of miles a nightingale could fly from branch to branch of the fruit trees and a cat walk from wall to wall and housetop to housetop as there is little rainfall the country was almost destitute of wood and the river mud was used instead of wood and made into bricks these with or without straw were hardened by the sun or fire and used for building adobe houses tablets were also made of mud or bitumen 
which is found here in large quantities, and while soft, cuneiform inscriptions were written upon them and hardened in the sun. These have remained even to the present day. Large quantities of mud and clay from the canals were thrown out, sometimes banked up, forming small hills or mounds, upon which temples and palaces were built. Canes and reeds, growing along the banks of the canals, were cut and used for the roofs of buildings. They were inclined toward each other, joined at the top, coated with clay, and formed the roofs of the houses. In the temples and great palaces the canes were bent into an arch, supported underneath by other canes, making a wicker archwork, on which layer after layer of mud or bitumen was placed, until a solid roof was formed. Thus the architecture of the people here, as elsewhere, was the result of geographic environment. As the population in Mesopotamia became dense, the people were forced into communities. These grew into towns and great cities. The patriarchal system still continued, though with greatly changed conditions. All related by blood or adoption were regarded as members of the tribe, and all on an equality. The patriarch retained the ownership of the property, with power of life and death. With the increase of wealth, luxury and power, the people deteriorated. They lost the personal liberty and freedom of hunters and fishermen, and later of shepherds. The patriarch became a despot, the nomad a slave. From the ruins of cities scattered all over this valley, we learn much of the history of this people, their character, habits, and manner of life. In Nippur, the city most recently excavated, by gentlemen connected with the University of Pennsylvania, the debris over one of its temples is thirty-seven feet in thickness, the accumulation of about four thousand years. Thirty feet below the ruins is the temple built by Mulil about six thousand years before Christ, and here have been found monuments, pottery, and other evidences of civilization. The inscriptions even then had ceased to be pictures and were cuneiform, but the beginning of Babylonian writing lies far behind the foundations of the Temple of Nippur. Recent writers tell us that the flower of Babylonian art is found at the beginning of Babylonian history. The inscription upon the temple tells us that, quote, Milel, king of the universe, invested Lugal with the kingdom of the world. He filled all lands with his renown and subdued them from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, from the Persian Gulf to the upper sea where the sun sinks to rest, and granted him dominion over all things and caused all countries to dwell in peace. His capital was at Erech, which was called the city. His empire extended from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean, the sea of the setting sun and out into the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus. Here lived Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and Ashur, who builded Nineveh. Eighteen hundred years after Sargon, Abraham went forth from the Ur of the Chaldees, near the mouth of the Euphrates, into the land of Canaan, and subsequently, when Jardua Laomer, king of Elam and Tidal, king of nations, took Lot, his nephew, and made him prisoner, Abraham armed his servants, attacked Chedor Laomer and Tidal by night, smote them, and liberated Lot. 
About a thousand years later, Sennacherib ruled, and about six hundred years before Christ, Nebuchadnezzar lived, under whom the Jews were taken captive, when by the rivers of Babylon there hung their harps. Bricks from the palace of Nebuchadnezzar, with his names and titles still inscribed, now grace the walls of the most lowly Arab and Turkish dwellings. The names of all these kings have been recently found on some of the Babylonian tablets. The great rich valley of the Euphrates was filled with cities, some of them, such as Babylon and Nineveh, then and now the wonder of the world. Here, eight thousand years ago, ruled Ensagana, lord of Kengi, the land of canals and reeds. From the remains of the city and palaces he built, pieces of pottery have been recently taken, of fine shape and as beautifully worked as the ancient pottery of Greece. Two thousand years later, or three thousand eight hundred years before Christ, flourished Sargon I, founder of a new dynasty. On one of the statues the following inscription is found. She placed me in a basket of rushes, with bitumen, the door of my ark she closed. She launched me on the river, which drowned me not. The river bore me along, to Aki the water-carrier it brought me. Aki the water-carrier in the tenderness of his heart lifted me up. Aki the water-carrier made me his gardener, and in my gardenership the goddess Ishtar loved me. In Egypt, enclosed by the sea and desert, there was no need of large armies. Walled cities were not required, for there were few inhabitants in the desert, and for many centuries no hostile army appeared on its border. The geographic environment of Mesopotamia was different. On one side were mountains and valleys inhabited by numerous warlike wandering tribes, and beyond them the nomads of Central Asia. The inhabitants of the valley must be ever ready to meet attacks, and this required an army and people accustomed to arms. Thus a different environment made peoples of different character. Their rulers were often great warriors who led their armies in different directions, subduing countries far and near. As the mountains inhabited by these warlike tribes were near the plain, they were compelled to surround their cities with high and broad walls. Within these walls were large and populous cities, temples and palaces crowned the heights, the hanging gardens of Babylon were built, bridges connected the cities on either side of the Euphrates, cuneiform writing was largely used, libraries filled with tablets were founded, and civilization rose to the highest point yet reached, which must have had its beginning ten thousand years ago. When we remember the wonderful cities that flourished in this valley, its great population and high civilization, and reflect that this civilization continued from five to six thousand years, several thousand years longer than our own civilization, when we remember that certain portions of the valley are low, often inundated, that in summer the climate is hot and unhealthy, that the government was a despotism and the people slaves, that there was a great inequality between the upper and lower classes, civilization, refinement and luxury in the upper classes, and degradation in the lower classes, when we reflect that these conditions continued thousands of years, our interest in the people and country which produced such results must ever increase. During the wars that often laid waste the valley, the inhabitants were sometimes conquered and driven from their homes far to the north and west. 
many crossed the Aegean into Greece and carried to Greece and through it to Europe the civilization of the Orient. By this means Europe gradually passed from the Iron Age to the civilization of the present. It is asked why, with the same geographic environment as in the days of Nineveh and Babylon, Mesopotamia, once the garden of the world, should have become a desert. We must again look to its environment. On the easterly and northerly sides of the valley, living among the mountains, were powerful and warlike tribes. These tribes, tempted by the wealth of the cities of the plain, made frequent inroads, killing its inhabitants. If the ruler was strong and powerful, they were driven back to their mountains. If he was weak, his government was overthrown, the mountain tribes took possession of the valley, killing the inhabitants, and sometimes destroying the cities and forming a new dynasty. Thus, in different ages, the Sumerians, the Chaldeans, Babylonians, Assyrians, Elamites, Hittites, Scythians, Parthians, Medes, and Persians under Cyrus, Greeks under Alexander, and Romans under Ptolemy, conquered and plundered the valley. It was afterwards conquered by the Mongolians, and five hundred years ago it fell into the merciless and destroying hands of the Turk, for five centuries has been pillaged by its governors and officers, the taxes raised beyond the power of the people to pay, the water shut off from the land, the irrigating canals closed, the land laid waste, and famine and desolation followed. The sands from the desert drifted in until the valley became a waste, rich only in mounds and ruins of old empires. The geographic position of Mesopotamia made it for thousands of years the great highway of the world, connecting the East and the West, Europe and Asia. Over it, great caravans were constantly passing, but the carriage by canal was slow, expensive, and finally became dangerous. Columbus, in his efforts to find a better way to the Orient, discovered America. Magellan circumnavigated Africa and opened a new route around the Cape of Good Hope, which was followed for nearly four hundred years, when a shorter way was opened through the Suez Canal and Red Sea. But the route through Mesopotamia must once again become the highway connecting the two continents, for it is now the route of the telegraph, and railroads are gradually finding their way from the Mediterranean to the valley of the Euphrates and down the valley, as the shortest route and easiest road between the east and west. When the Turkish rule is overthrown and a good government established, the population will increase, new cities will arise, and this valley may once more become the garden of the world. The civilization of the valley of the Tigris and Euphrates traveled eastward into Persia and India, over the mountains into China, and down its great rivers to the Pacific, across the desert southward, and up the Nile to the interior of Africa. From Babylon it commenced its westward course, tarrying first at the Mediterranean, where it exchanged the cuneiform writing of Babylon for the Phoenician alphabet, founded Tyre and Sidon. There it met a new environment, for the ocean added shipping and commerce to the civilization of Babylon. The population of Mesopotamia, Tyre and Sidon and their colonies was of the Sumerian or Semitic race. They had material wealth, the patriarchal or despotic rule, with little personal freedom, and their work in advancing civilization, which they had carried on for so many thousand years, 
finally came to an end another country and a different race must carry forward civilization and develop art science and literature from tyre and sidon and the semitic race civilization moved westward to greece and there met the aryan race with different political and personal training its home amid lofty mountains enclosing rich valleys with shores indented with deep gulfs and bays harbors studded with islands instead of one great despotism geographic environment caused the creation of many small states then a city became a state frequently at war with its neighbors literature arts and sciences enriched with personal liberty and freedom of action were added to the civilization of the orient in greece all nature was on a small scale civilization needed a broader field and from greece it moved westward to rome where it acquired the principles of order and stable government and established its rule over many nations and peoples savage barbarian and civilized but personal freedom was after the second century a d lost the roman tribune became an imperial augustus the world subject again to a single will the dark ages followed wherein the foundations of the states of modern europe were laid these ages of darkness must precede the renaissance and then for a short time the march of civilization was turned back toward the land of its birth constantinople was founded that great and wonderful city beautiful in situation overlooking the western and eastern worlds where continuous imperial power has existed longer than in any other city where the literature art and science of the old world were preserved that they might be handed down to italy again when the dark ages were past with the renaissance civilization finally turned westward and wended its way from constantinople to venice and genoa from italy the culture of the old world was carried on the great lines of travel to central and northern europe with the renaissance the lethargy of the dark ages was broken printing was invented america was discovered and civilization started on its westward course across the atlantic to its home in a new world where public schools science art morality and religion with equality and freedom are working out the civilization of the future we have seen that in the early life of our race man was not only dependent on his environment but a slave to it as he passed from savage to civilized life he gradually threw off the yoke relying more and more upon himself and becoming less and less dependent on his surroundings cold and heat snow and rain storm and sunshine time and space no longer control him he not only rises superior to their power but uses them for his own pleasure and purposes in the infancy of his race the feeblest and most helpless of animals the slave of his environment he has in his manhood claimed and exercised the right to rule and become its master End of section 1